we are not playing Pokemon Go, and we are playing podcast time. Podcast Jason. Go? <laughs> yes, and I'm joined by that man, Lucas, and this is Flux the Post, episode 122, recording live to tape from Flux the Post Studios on Monday. Yeah, we're doing it back on a Monday, the 11th of July, 2016. We're back. Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm not playing Pokemon Go, but everyone else in this world apparently is. My Facebook demands that I I know that everyone's playing Pokemon Go, and my you Twitter. know you know the Go. Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. <laughs> the only way I do. And uh, yeah, we got uh, we got a good show lined up for you tonight on the docket. We have uh, IRL. What you playing? An interview with. Board game designer extraordinaire Jonathan Gilmore joins us. Pro tips. He has pro tips. He has advice. He'll have lots of good things to share with us. Uh, We'll cram an overclock remix in there somewhere, and it's Netflixation night. We're talking about uh, what the hush, the thriller slasher serial killer movie on Netflix. So let's do it. We have, uh, I have a feeling the interview, let's face it, anytime we have an interview, we always run long. So I have a feeling we're going to want to speed run this beginning to just mm. allow allow for all the content of this show. So true. So true. Do you want to bet me? Do you feel like a betting man this evening? Uh, I'm not a betting man, but I am an oil man. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Drink it up. <laughs> uh, good times. Mm. Uh, IRL stuff. Lucas, what's been going on? It's been, a, well, I guess, wow, first of all, we didn't even address it. Yeah, it's been a while. We did not record. We came to a unanimous decision to take the week off. It felt True. pretty fantastic. I'm not going to lie. Yes, I agree. It was it was kind of weird at first, but I had so much going on that I was. it ended up being a, a blessing. Blessing yeah. in disguise. First break we've taken in quite some time, actually. Agreed. Agreed. I don't even remember the last time we didn't do an episode. Honestly, yeah, we've been we've been pretty regular, just like fiber. Ooh, keeps regular. Uh, ooh, that's a new that's a nice new tag for the the podcast. Keeps you regular. Keeps <laughs> <laughs> regular. Um. So what have I been doing? Well, let me tell you, Jason. Let me tell you, brother. Uh, I'm gonna be turning thirty. Can you believe it? Oh, that's right. That's tomorrow. I'm gonna be an old man. Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna. I should check and see where your gifts at. Oh, as in like it's not. You don't mean like you're gonna search your house for my gifts or. Like, no, I, I, I got up and walked away. I haven't paid attention to the. That's coming from lands far away. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm turning thirty, which is the first time I've I've ever done that, and uh, I don't really care. You know, I kind of don't really feel any different than when I turned twenty-one. They say you kind of forget after you turn twenty-one. You don't really, there's nothing really to look forward to on your birthday. And that's kind of been true as far as I can tell. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be 30 and that'll be a thing that happened. But more importantly, because of this, uh, we had, we were planning on having just a little get together here. That's all I wanted to do. We've often gone bowling or that's, that's a pretty big one is we'll go bowling at our normal bowling spot. But Mm -hmm. I just kind of felt like, you know what? I kind of want to just invite whoever we know you know we know lots of different people from different walks of life so i felt like danette could invite her friends and i could invite my friends and it wouldn't be weird and it wouldn't be like hey you have to play bowling to come hang out with me 
So yeah. we uh, decided that we were going to well, not because of not because of the party, but um, we had been planning on building a fence now that the neighbors have moved out. And I wanted I just wanted to get it done before the party because I, I just had this feeling that it would be nicer um, as far as like because we're going to be outside all all day. And uh, there's there's a weird thing when your your yards are so close together. There's like not a very big no man's land area when mm-hmm. uh, between my neighbors and my yard. So there's always this feeling of being in their yard, even though it was technically our yard, just because you could see so much of their house and you were so close to them, really. I mean, once you got on the yeah. edge of the property. So we we decided that we were going to build it before the party. And uh, I'd never built a fence before, but I think it went pretty well. Um, it took It ended up taking three days, but not because of any real issues. The hardest part was digging. And I ran into some issues there because I did it the old-fashioned way and used post hole diggers instead of uh, – you can use like a an auger – a powered auger or even they have some manual ones, but I, I figured I wouldn't run into too many problems digging seven holes, but the last two, of course, the last two, <laughs> Cody's going crazy in the background. If you can hear that, um, the last two, of course, were the big issue. So we got most of them set. And then the last two had to be set the next day. And then of course you have to wait for the cement to dry. So it kind of screwed the timing up for everything so we did it in sections and i finally attached all of the pickets singly uh we did not buy the pre-made fence panels we did um single pickets and uh i got those all up and uh yeah it it worked out pretty good it it it's weird because you think it would make the yard look smaller but it actually ended up marking the bounds pretty nicely so now you kind of feel like i can go into that corner and not feel like I'm on their property. So uh, that that worked out really well. And then impromptly, I decided I was going to build a fire pit, too. I uh, <laughs> We've been wanting one for a, a really long time, and I happened to see... I'd been pulling out a lot of cement blocks out of our ground. For some reason, There's they just put a ton in the ground. I don't know who did it, but they're in there, uh, especially in a certain corner of our yard where there used to be a... Um, um, standalone uh, shack thing, like uh, where you would store your mm. yeah. uh, lawnmower. A tool shed. A tool, walking off behind my tool shed. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of cement there, and we were pulling out, and I was like, can I do anything with this? So, of course, I go to P- Pinterest, because Pinterest is the place for anything that has been reclaimed. Um, but that got me, I, I had seen um, not reclaimed cement block, fire pits but just regular you know go out and buy some but it was so cheap that i was like you know what i feel like i could i could put this together really quickly uh so i did i did i dug the hole the night before the party and finished the fire pit um a couple hours before everyone arrived so and it worked out great because before that we had that dumb portable fire pit that just it doesn't look like it's supposed to be Mm. in the yard it just Kind of, I mean, it, it it always looks nicer on a patio or something, but if you throw it out in your yard, it kind of seems weird. Um, so we wanted something more permanent, and it all worked out. Uh, so I was pretty glad I did it. I was a little unsure at first, but you know, it works for what it what we need it for, and uh, so we got to enjoy that. And the party was great, and yeah, we just kind of hung out and 
played some cornhole. I, I'm still yep. terrible, and you still carried me. So that worked out. Everything was yeah, good. Yeah, that'll that'll happen. You know, that will happen. So that that was what I did, man. Over the, I I didn't really do much else over the weekend, or over the vast what almost two weeks. So that was pretty much the major things. How about you, man? Uh, yeah, not much. Uh else for me you know got away for the holiday weekend and um we did we were at jess's uh you know parents lake and we did try to see if asher would like to swim or can swim the answer is very much no he hates the water he hates really? it so much he was terrified because they have like a little doggy vest even and jess and i were in the water and she held him and had the vest on and put him in the water and he immediately just like was flailing at her to try to get back <laughs> out and like clawed oh. her up and so then we tried again later without the vest. Maybe that was inhibiting him. And so I got in the water first, and they dangled him over the edge to me. And he went in the water, and he immediately was, like, trying to climb into the boat. So he does not like to swim <laughs> at all. It was very pathetic looking Aww. Uh, and hilarious. But, um, yeah, I, I um, another note, if you, you've paid attention on Twitter, um, another reason why we didn't do the show last week, because – not only were you constructing a fence for most of the week, uh, my grandfather un- unsuspectedly had to go to the hospital on uh, would have been Monday night, uh, the 4th of July. Um, I had actually just saw him that afternoon at my, my father's, and then he had uh, was complaining of uh, numbness and uh, limpness in his like right arm. So I thought he should go in. Of course, my grandma's like, he's fine, and um, <laughs> held him overnight, and the one hospital did a bunch of tests, and then they ended up bringing him here to Grand Rapids, and it turns out he had... Suffered a small minor stroke. Um, I think that's his third he's had so far. He had a pretty bad one, I think, about three years ago now. But uh, he's going to be 85. So um, turns out he had, like, a minor stroke. And then one of his arteries in his neck area was, like, 80% blocked on the left side. And then the one on the right side is 60%. And they won't operate on one until at least it's 70. So they did operate on the one artery, had surgery to have that cleaned out. And he's... uh. He had that last week, uh, Wednesday? No, Thursday, I think. And then um, he's back home, was released on Friday, and he's been back home recovering. So he's doing all right now. Just uh, just one of those things that uh, happens, you know, I guess. Um, it's unfortunate that at that age, like my, grand, my oldest grandfather is 90, and I think my other, you know, both my grandma and grandpa on my lacy side are right around that 80, 45, and I believe my grandmother is around that age too, so. Um, you know, just enjoy all the time you have left with them. So glad he's doing all right. Um, and yeah, so that was really it. I mean, nothing else really notable to talk of after something like that. So, well, I'm glad he's doing okay. I was, yeah, thank you. It was kind of, um, strange because I normally, when you tell me about your well, the grandfather, like when you say grandfather, I think of your grandfather on your your other grandfather um on my mother's side that i'm more familiar with i've only met him a couple times but he's been at things i think that uh that i've yeah, been to he's and, not much of a vocalist so yeah but i've seen so i thought of him and it ended up being your other grandfather so it was very confusing yep. but uh i'm glad that he is okay and everything's going well indeed he is uh shall we do some what you plan Ooh. You just go from mm, somber to, all right, let's talk video games now. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> uh, oddly enough, though, man, I haven't played. I'm not. I'm just not. I don't know what it is. I'm just not feeling 
video games. I think it was the right holiday. Now. I think it was the holiday partially too. I yeah. I just spent more time outside, so I didn't. I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, it like I mean, I have Mario Maker from the library until like the tenth. I mean, excuse me, the twentieth, and I barely touched that. I've played it for like fifteen minutes so far, and that's about it. But I I did uh I I had a plethora of graphic novels that I've checked out. You know, I can't wait to hear about I, these. I I talked about Chewie. And so um, I had uh, Lando and Leia, both in the Star Wars run. I just got Kanan, uh, Volume 1 as well, to check out. Oh, yeah. Um, I, You know, I I think Lando, I really enjoyed Lando. It's got that kind of heist vibe yeah. to it. And it gives, you a, it gives you a little backstory about him, but a lot more about Lobot, which I kind of enjoyed, too, his little assistant there. Um, kind of a weird story at the same time, but overall I enjoyed it. It was a... Uh, it's a pretty good read. I I've liked that a lot more than Chewbacca. Leia, I know you really did not care for this at all. Um, it wasn't. I didn't hate it. Um, I kind of hated like the big the, the, some of the motive about it. Oh, we gotta we gotta reunite all the Alderanians. Mm-hmm. We gotta give them a home, and it's like eh. So a lot of talk, talk. Not a lot of not a lot of else going on. But it, it wasn't it wasn't horrible. It was uh it was an all right read. Um, I liked it better than Chewie still. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, if you have something that's worse than Leia to compare it to, it's not. It's not terrible, but I think, like you said, the biggest problem I had was that I was expecting more things to happen. But yeah, it is. What it's it interesting is. too because the uh, the the run of uh, Star Wars that Dark Horse did, uh, the Brian Wood series, right before you know they. Marvel took the license back, um, you know, dealt with the same time period with all these comics, you know, right between episodes um, four and five. And uh, it's interesting to see the connect some of the differences and like some of the similarities of that. Cause that, there was an issue that specifically dealt with like Leia and like, you know, like looking for, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not immigrants, but um, refugees, oh, refugees. You know, like yeah. all the Iranian refugees and stuff. So it's kind of very kind of similar there, uh, but not to not to lag on that. Um, I also had um, another book in the Mouse Guard series. It's uh, Legends of the Guard, um, Volume One, and it's actually it's a collection of short stories that other authors and um, artists put together, and then um, the the Mouse, Mouse Guard uh, author kind of wrote like a little story companion piece to kind of time all together so the setting is there's a bunch of mice inside a uh an inn and like they're all owed debt so the innkeeper oh, yeah. has, like a comp- has a competition to hey you know tell me a story and whoever wins will have their debt forgiven the rest of you guys pay me in seven days so some of them are like literally just you know eight panels and then some are a couple more pages but i mean there's quite a few in there so it was cool just to get little bits and pieces of of the more of the mouse guard um backstory and lore and uh that's a cool read. Um, I'll probably try to hunt down volume two next. I, I still really love that series, and it makes me want to play Mice and Mystics. What, what was your favorite short story out of that one? You know, um, oddly enough, one of my favorites is actually the one that was picked by the, the character as the winner. Um, oh, I guess I shouldn't have done that now because I had to spoil it a little bit. But um, <laughs> oddly enough, it doesn't, um, it doesn't even have any – it's all just art. There's no – all the stories told visually and it's just really well drawn and it, it's really cool how it, how it works. 
Very good. I can't think of what I can't think of what the name of it is exactly. It's the one that then, won. Uh, <laughs> it's the one of the one. And then uh, we did watch the movie. Uh, finally watched The Martian. Ah yes, yes, yes. Um, over this break, just kind of watched that. Matt um, Damon. Matt Damon, and it was freaking awesome. I really enjoyed it. I, like I love the costume design. I love that like that suit that they wear on Mars. The way that was designed, it looked um, just cool. You know, it's it's it it's. And then, like, Jess really enjoyed it, too, so I think that speaks. She's not super into sci-fi, but it's always, you know, it's got that humor. It's got that um, yeah. suspenseful elements, and it just it's all really put together really well. Um, really enjoyable film. So I, it's on HBO right now, so if you haven't mm-hmm. watched it, there's a great, that's all you can. And uh, I really liked it. Really liked Now i got to watch Interstellar. I think that's on uh, Amazon. I have um, it's the video, so. I have a feeling Jess might not like that one as much. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's if a I've bit longer, too. Sure. Yeah, probably stretches a little more into you know the sci-fi. Sci-fi, yeah, for sure. Super sci-fi, definitely. Stuff. And uh, lastly, um, you know what little games I have played, I did finish Box Boy, but um, I've been trying to play Overwatch here and there, which was yeah. consisted of like last week for like an hour, and then um, today uh, for like an hour. And ever since their most recent patch, I don't know if other people are having these issues on PC, but it is borderline unplayable for me. Like, just to launch the game, it takes an exorbitant, like, a very extreme amount of time just to load up. And then when I first connect to a match and load in, I sit there and I'm loading into that game for a couple minutes. And I, almost to the point where, well, a couple times now, like, one game I was playing with a buddy and I couldn't, I didn't even get into load into the game until after it started. And then once I finally was in there, like none of the, I've had it before where like the player models haven't quite loaded yet. And mm-hmm. so I can run around and I can't see my, my gun or anything like that. But for probably a good two minutes, once I was in the match, I couldn't see any player models myself or the enemy. Damn. I thought for, at least I'd be able to see like the little cursor target over the, their heads. Nope. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't, there are no sound effects. And then slowly like different particles would start loading in. Like I could only see one enemy shots and then I could see this and then I could see only this player and, it's really bizarre. I don't know um, what the deal is. I updated my drivers um, from last week to today, but saw no improvement. So something that Blizzard had patched has really kind of broken it. I'm just getting really poor performance, too. I'm having some FPS drops. I'm having a lot of high CPU usage. And before, in the beta and earlier in release, this game ran really, really well on my, my machine. So kind of a head-scratching moment. I did look on the Blizzard forums, and it seems like there's a lot of other users that are kind of having... Similar issues. So, did anyone hopefully say it's something they did? Anyone on the forum say upgrade your potato computer? New, yeah, get some more RAM. Come on, dude. So, hopefully, uh, it gets fixed, and then uh, I'll be back to play it. But otherwise, I'm just like, eh, whatever. I'll play some more. I don't know. I'll play Ocarina of Time on my 3DS or something. I don't know. I'm just, or I won't even play it all. I've got, I got, I've got uh, what the Canaan graphic novel to read. I've got Star Wars Bloodlines to read. So I got or Blood Ties. I got some more stuff to read. So, and that's me. That's it. All right. Very good. Well, I followed suit basically. I was too. There were a lot of days where I was just too tired to play anything. I'd come in, have a beer from being something about doing outside work makes me want to have a beer. I don't even care if it's like. It can be Coors Light or something like that. I don't care. Um, so I would just come in and want to watch something. Uh, I've I caught up a lot on some of the YouTube channels that I follow. I hadn't been watching that stuff uh, for whatever reason. And one of the things that I started watching um, was 
a playthrough of the game that uh, recently released called Inside by the guys who did Limbo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's really cool. Yes, it is very cool. Um, it. I watched Jack Jack Septicai, uh, that YouTuber, play Inside, and I ended up, even though he did it in three videos, which were all almost an hour long, I ended up watching all of them pretty much in one sitting each time. Not all of, not all three in one sitting, but I would start one and watch it all the way through. Um, and now. I kind of don't feel like I need to buy the game or anything. So it does kind of go a long way towards the argument that sometimes let's plays are detrimental to the game. Um, No, I don't think I'd ever want to play the game after if I watched an entire let's play, unless it was like a shooter or something. Right. Especially, well, that's the problem is this is all story. This is a story driven game that has no dialogue in it. It just tells you everything you need to know through the the visuals. And I really this is one of my favorite videos that he's done. I really enjoyed watching him play the game, but I don't feel necessarily like I need to now. So if you are interested in playing the game, then I would say don't look anything up for it, especially with this game because there are a lot of theories much like Limbo had uh because it's one of those games that doesn't really just tell you this is what happened during the game that you just played Mm -hmm. so um yeah i would if you're planning on playing it anytime soon i would or at all i guess i would say don't look anything up for it um but i enjoyed it like if i had played it i would have enjoyed it so um i kind of feel bad now but uh it was very good and the the art style in that game is just freaking beautiful so uh definitely something to check out if you're into if you like limbo and are into those narrative driven light platformer games uh the Mm -hmm. only other thing i did i did mess around in my rift a bit i haven't really talked about the rift in a while i still am playing it the problem is that i don't have a lot of money to spend on some of the bigger games that have come out so a lot of the time it'll be um little smaller experiences or games that only cost $5 and there's not really much to talk about. So I am still using it and I'll watch, I'll watch a movie with it every once in a while and stuff like that. But it's just, there's not a lot here for me to talk about. So if you were wondering why I'm not like still over the moon about it, I am. I just don't bring it up on every, what you plan. Um, The last thing I've been doing really has been watching gravity falls like that's the one yeah. thing I've been watching, and dude, I love this show. I think you had said when you first talked about it on the show that it, it kind of feels like summer camp or something like that a little bit. Like they go on all these adventures, and it it takes place over a summer, and it, it just has that feeling of like going camping or well, not not necessarily going camping, but being out in the wilderness and mm-hmm. all these weird things that are happening and all the interesting references and everything. It's it's just really fun. And the, the funny thing about the, the show is uh, Danette has watched a few episodes with me and she she actually uh, she's like, I don't mind the show. And that's that's uh, usually a good sign. Uh, but what's interesting about it is that it's on Disney, but sometimes there are especially when that character bill the um 
uh, Bill Cipher. Bill Cipher, yeah. When he comes into play, there are a lot of like morbid imagery things happening. Yeah. Like, uh, here, I'm going to give you this head that won't stop screaming, and it's and then poof, <laughs> like no no hesitation at all. It's like poof, and it literally never stops screaming. And then when he banishes it, it it goes like layer by layer. So first it's like the skin, and then the eyes and teeth, and then like the flesh melts away. And I'm like, damn, this is not a show for children at all really yeah i like his uh his voice sometimes reminds me of uh something from kind of like sounds like claptrap i thought the same thing too i i couldn't put my finger on it at first but then when he was on another i wouldn't be surprised or at the very least they use the same um they use like the same uh vocoder or something yeah um well see i knew i knew you would like the show I just didn't uh, have a way to watch it was the problem. They they added it on um, Hulu. It's one of the few Disney XD uh, shows that they've added uh, to Hulu. Well, he, he is definitely not uh, probably the same voice actor because it's voiced by Alex Hirsch, who is the creator of Gravity Falls, so I doubt he did. <laughs> that, <laughs> would be, that would be very surprising. Right. That was David Eddings who did Claptrap. Um, see now that now that you're watching it as well, see yeah, we have to just keep the campaign going to get Alex Hurst to actually respond to us on Twitter so he can come on our show. That would be awesome. I would love that. I was very surprised to see how many voices he he did because he does Grunkle Stan too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Which that one I have to imagine turns your voice into hamburger after you do it for long enough. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'm just really enjoying it. And uh, again, it just doesn't seem like it's for kids, even though it has kids in it. Uh, and like the the um, changer, the skin changer, or whatever the, not the doppelganger. What am I trying to say? Uh, the um, shapeshifter. That thing is freaking super creepy too. So there's all this like imagery, yeah. um, and I also. I, kept, I was like, what is this weird... I keep hearing like a message at the end of the theme song, which, by the way, gets stuck in my head constantly, um, that it's like a voice that is playing in reverse. So I looked it up, and sure enough, it's it's a voice that plays in reverse, and it has a message that tells you how to... I think it tells you what cipher you have to use to decode the message that is at the end of the credits if I remember correctly, or, or, oh, okay. or how to, basically how to decode it, which I haven't done. Um, and I also haven't really looked up any of the, the ant, like what each episode yeah. has, but uh, I thought that was kind of cool too. It reminded me of like decoder rings and, and stuff like that. Extra well, I'm, I'm just really sad. I missed out on watching this, like when it was airing because like the, the Reddit threads that this thing would spread with oh, like, like the theories, everything and theories and everything like that. And, I, I I did write during the finales and stuff, but not in the heyday. It's kind of funny that you uh, you uh, are on this episode because I think this is actually the first episode of the show I ever saw. Because um, it would just randomly be on, you know, and I I would uh, you know watch it, and then finally I was like, you know, I'm going to jump into the series, and then I went through and you know watched them all from start to finish mm-hmm. and got current because there are a couple of hiatus breaks there in the seasons and. And stuff. So I can't remember how many episodes are there in the season two, like it's, thirteen or fourteen. Oh, there was twenty in the first. I'm not 100 percent sure how many. Oh, okay, I might be way off then. That's right. Okay. Um, I think um, it's twenty in each, actually. What's been your favorite episode so far? Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, uh, the most recent one I watched was that you were just talking about was the um, the society that. 
Well, shoot, I don't want to talk about it for anybody who hasn't checked it out because yeah. that's one of the. F- there, there are like adventures mixed in that are just kind of like one-offs, but then there's this, there's these threads that keep coming up that eventually lead to things later in the show that have more meaning throughout the episodes. So I don't want to spoil anything like that because there's other things in here that are one-offs that are still great too. But I liked the um the fight the fight fighters where basically Ryu say, comes comes to life uh but the one um you haven't seen the one with uh giffany yet have you that's the one i just that's i watched that today that one was really cool too and actually i'm glad you brought that up because the one of the things i like about the show is that even though it's an animated show they they do a, a really good job of like creating this atmosphere like i noticed in with giffany which is a dating simulator practice like dating uh, hitting on chicks basically it's this um this girl and she's vindictive and wants uh seuss to stay with her instead of going out and finding a real girlfriend and when he does that she gets mad and decides to leave the game well when they go to this they both like this chuck e cheese type place which reminded me of five night five nights at freddy's um where she's able to basically take over the bodies of the animatronics that are there. And when she's walking towards them as one of the animatronics, she, you can see the animatronic walking towards them, but then they also show her in a line of arcade cabinets walking and almost like a reflection. And it's little touches like that where they didn't have to do it necessarily, but the fact that they did just makes everything seem more alive and more interesting and just gives it a lot more, uh, I don't know, depth to everything, I guess. So it's just like every episode has a lot of quality to it. And it, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just a lot of visual interest in each episode. It's, it's one of the most visually rich cartoons I've seen in a long time for not yeah. being a movie or anything. But yeah, Fighter uh Fight Fighters is a is yeah, one a of my one. favorites. But I also like Boys Crazy, uh the one that makes fun of uh oh, the boy, boy bands. Band. It's like yeah. several times or something like that. because uh, they're gonna love you several times. Um yeah has, so, um has Ford showed up yet in your Ford? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh I do not I'm trying to remember where you're at, so but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, little Gideon is pretty funny. Uh, that <laughs> dang little doucher. Um, and I'm really curious to see what's going on. Like it, it feels it's a really put together show. And knowing that, like having you talk about, it had a specific ending, and it was always going towards a certain place. It feels that mm-hmm. way. And knowing that doesn't ruin any ruin anything for me. But it it actually kind of enhances the experience a bit because I feel like they've, they've demonstrated to me that most of what I'm watching has a purpose, not always, but a lot of it does. And that makes me feel like they didn't just pad episodes with garbage. So you'll you'll cry when it's done, done. Oh God. I'm sure. I'm sure I will. I, I I don't even want to (laughs) know. I cry at the, I'm a, I'm a dad now. I cry at the stupidest things. It's ridiculous. Well, it's good timing too because they have uh, 
you brought it up because they have coming out uh, this month. Actually, um, it's called Journal Number Three, and it's a Ooh. hardcover, um, two hundred eighty-eight page full color jacketed hardcover version of Journal Three. It contains every page of the journal that was ever shown on the show. Damn. Um, plus all new pages with monsters and secrets um, from Dipper and Mabel, and the author's complete full story contained inside the journal too. I don't know who the author is yet, though. You will. You will. I mean, I, I would almost buy the terrible, their terrible 3DS game just because it's more Gravity Falls. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's how I kind of feel about um, Adventure Time sometimes. They have a lot of shitty, like, off-spin-off games. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. I like I like Adventure Time. But like you said, yeah, it's, it's to, never good, usually. I need to start watching some more of that, too. Uh, speaking of Amazon, Prime Day is tomorrow, so get ready for some um, a more birthday. Sh- shitty deals that aren't that really. You're like, really? Because I remember Prime Day was all hyped up, and I remember everything sucked about it. Yeah, it was like a garage sale for all the shit that Amazon didn't want anymore. Yeah, it wasn't good. Well, I kind of do. I kind of uh, hijacked your what you playing there. Oh, that's okay. Uh, that was the end, basically. Sorry. Uh, right. That is right. the end. I do not have anything else to. To uh, to discuss at this time, so I didn't. Wow, they're, they're... I, I I'm hoping to get in a little bit more. I don't know, maybe movies or games or something. Uh, I've been itching to play some games. I just haven't. You know, mm-hmm. when you get on the computer at ten or eleven o'clock at night, you're just like, Oof, I'm just gonna watch something and go to bed. Yep. Yeah. So. All right. Well, what uh, we don't we got no news this week. No. We got Jonathan Gilmore, so we do. Why don't we Why don't we interview that guy, and then we'll do some the rest of the show. I like it. All right, folks, here we go. This is the moment that you've been waiting for. We have got Jonathan Gilmore in the studio with us. Jonathan, now we have we are actually in a physical studio, right? Absolutely, it, we're it, all in the same location. Exactly. And uh, we do this for you guys because, you know, we love you and uh, we want to thank you for listening. But, uh, Jonathan, why don't you tell us a bit about about yourself and uh, for those who are kind of unfamiliar with who you are and what you do? Uh, so I am a full-time board game designer. Um, I was co-designer on the game Dead of Winter, a crossword game Ooh. for Hat Games, um, which is a game about survivors in a post-apocalyptic winter that kind of also has zombies. I don't like to tell people it's a zombie game, because in my opinion it's not. It's about the survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had kind of a follow-up game come out, Dead of Winter of the Long Night, just launched at Origins a few weeks ago. Um, I also have a couple other games that are out currently or on their way out. Uh, Vault Wars is from Floodgate Games, which is uh, a game that's loosely based on uh, shows like Storage Wars, except it's set in a fantasy universe. So when adventurers <laughs> don't come back from their adventures, uh, ah. the goblins will still off the vaults where they store all their treasures. And you, as an enterprising uh, investor, want to buy those vaults and you know cash in on their bad luck. That's awesome. Uh, and then Heroes and Tricks is a uh, kind of on-the-go trick-taking game that you can play without a table. So you can play it like while you're at a restaurant waiting in line or at movies waiting in line or in a car as long as you're not the guy driving. <laughs> uh, so 
Yeah, I uh, kind of stuff all over the place. Um, my next kind of big release is going to be uh, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, game about being a trucker. Ooh. Yeah, uh, the far-flung future where you know water, food, and guns are kind of the main thing that people want, and you're uh, you know buying stuff, selling stuff, making money uh, in a very uh, dystopian post-apocalypse. Nice. And that one was designed with uh, Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchbash, who are a couple of great designers. Awesome. So that's about me. Um, so I, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I'm always curious, like, what gets people inspired to do the thing that they do? So I have to ask, what inspired you to become a board game designer? Well, um, it started that I had been working... So uh, my background's kind of in the the computer industry. You know, I, I was a programmer and uh, network operations controlled did a few different things. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I moved into the area that I live in now, there weren't a lot of computer jobs, so I was working at a factory. Uh, and I really oh. felt, yeah, yeah, it's horrible. And you know, I have a lot of respect for anybody who does that. And I was I was at that factory for eleven years. Oh wow. Um, and, and I kind of transitioned into some different departments there. I w- at the end, you know, I got into the computer department finally, um, and then I was programming robots before I left to do this. Oh, nice. wow! Um, but I really had that itch to create something um, because my job was not. I mean, even though I was making things all day long, it mm-hmm. wasn't in a creative capacity. Right. So, um, I really had that itch because I had. Uh, before the days of blogging, like, you know, I had a website where I posted, you know, stuff back when they called them EN sites. Uh, I don't know how old you guys are, but that was around 2000 or so. I'm not uh, familiar with that, that terminology, EN yeah, sites. That's a, I was yeah, e, e slash N was the big thing before they were blogs or any, it stood for everything, nothing. Huh. So it was just, ah. Um, but so I used to do that and, you know, other little creative things throughout my life. I did a lot of artwork when I was in high school. So I had that, that creative itch pretty hard. Um, and my wife and I had gotten quite a bit into board games as a, uh, you know, thing to do that wasn't watching TV or movies. Um, yeah, especially as I started to have kids. So just, it kind of fit that I, I got the, you know, the urge to try to create something, uh, in board games, and my first couple attempts were horrible, and that's because almost everybody's first couple attempts are horrible, even though they don't want to think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then I, I made a uh, at the time I was in the computer department, and I made a small game called Pocket Dungeon, um, and it was a dungeon crawler uh, based on like the old roguelike games or NetHack games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was disguised as a to-do list. So you could print it out, fold it up, and it looked like you had a to-do list while you were at work. But you <laughs> play this dungeon crawling game and like generate a dungeon and fight monsters and get treasure and uh, do all that stuff. But you know, while you're in a meeting board, and it looks like you're actually <laughs> taking notes. Uh, and that that was pretty well received. That got uh, nominated for a Golden Geek Award for print and play games. Um, and that's, that's when it, it kind of bit me when people actually liked it. So 
then I started working on what eventually became Dead of Winter. Oh, so you jumped from um, Pocket Dungeon to De- right to Dead of Winter then? Uh, no, there were a few other failures in between there. Oh, but okay. I liked it, but it sounds like I was more successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, were you still working like full-time at a factory while you were doing this stuff? Or uh, how was the how was the balance between trying to break into what you wanted to be doing versus the job that you had to be doing or whatever it was that you were doing at the time? It was tough when I, when things really started to move ahead with Dead of Winter. Uh, you know, I was working between sixty to seventy five hour weeks with overtime. Oh, jeez. Oh, and I also, I also, uh, you know, have a wife and kids, so it would be come home from work, have supper, uh, spend a little bit of time with the family, and then usually stay up until like two a.m. working on board game designs, mm-hmm. and then you know four hours of sleep, and then oh. do it all the next day. Wow! Um, but the you know the thing that really helped uh, was that. During the process, uh, kind of after I had been working on it for about a year, um, I showed it to one of my friends, Isaac uh, Vega, who, when he saw it, he wanted to work on it with me. And he was uh, in the process of transitioning into full time with Flat Hat Games. Okay. So uh, since he was, you know, already in the, he already had his time kind of dedicated to it. He was able to take the, you know, the brunt of the work. And then most of the late night stuff was, you know, just whatever I could take on all from that. Mm. So, I mean, I really think, uh, you know, if you, if you look to design games, I think it's really good to try to find, you know, somebody else to help you just because it's nice. It's nice having that other partner to bounce ideas off and push you forward. Yeah, I definitely agree as somebody who's trying to do it, uh, the film thing, which I mean, really, any artistic endeavor where you have to be creative, I feel like there's this kind of hurdle where you have to, it's, it's the balance between what you have to do and what you want to do. But it's also, if you're trying to work from home, I find that to be very difficult personally. And I know a few other people in my little circle that have the same issue, but when you can group together and get, other people kind of working with you and keeping you motivated. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to hear other uh, creators kind of struggles and how they overcame it. And, and it's very, um, it's kind of inspiring to hear. So, well, and it's real easy to burn out by yourself too. I mean, you, you at least I always tend to, you know, be very critical of my own work and, you know, convince mm-hmm. myself that everything I do is not as good. <laughs> and you, you see every little thing that's not good about it. Yeah, yeah that yeah. Sound, sounds very familiar. <laughs> so yeah. having somebody else to tell you, well, no, that's not complete shit. Like, the thing you did is okay, and let's keep working on it helps a lot. And I'm assuming, too, um, it was with Isaac, too, that's how you kind of got linked up with Plat Hat as well, mm-hmm. which kind of brought you into the, the whole fold. Uh, it, it was nice because he had that pre-existing uh, really, who at the time was kind of the only employee at the company and ran everything. Um, and it was nice because my wife and I were hosting these monthly game days, and it was through that that I got to meet Isaac and becomes, fr- becomes friends with them. So 
um, it just kind of organically worked that, you know, he knew somebody in the industry. If it wasn't for linking up with him, I don't know if I even would have pitched it. I probably just would have released it as another free print and play game and went on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when he, when he played it, he was like, no, this is, this is actually a, a good start and this is, this could be successful. So it worked well. Good. I've always wondered, and I kind of, I think about this too, when it comes to, you know, when songwriting as well, like when you are, when you're designing a game, like what do you come up with first? Do you kind of have an idea of like the, the core mechanics or do you kind of come up with like uh, kind of a baseline story for the game and you can kind of build, you build the mechanics around that or does it just kind of differ project to project or do you have a personal preference? Like what seems to come first where you come up with like a, a game mechanic and then you kind of build up everything around that. It, you know, every, I've talked about it with a lot of different designers and, and almost every designer is going to give you a slightly different take on it. A lot of designers are mechanics first and, you know, I, I would say probably the other half is theme first. They'll be like, oh, well, I want to make a game about submarines and then, you know, go from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like to think of myself as an experience first designer. Like, I think, what do I want the players to feel like? And how can I, how can I make the theme and the mechanics both? really get them to feel the and, and experience the things and, and feel the feelings that I want them to feel. Well, I would say that if in, for instance, Dead of Winter, you wanted the players to feel like they're never going to win, I, don't, I know that's our experience <laughs> with Jason and I because we've, we've actually talked about, we have a segment called What You Play In where we just kind of mm-hmm. talk about what we've been doing for the week. And um, Jason, did you get that for Christmas? No, I think? Uh, you, you and Mike and your wife all pitched in, and it was my birthday. Oh, you, you guys right. like pre-ordered. I mean, you pre-ordered for me as a birthday gift. <laughs> yeah, I remember that distinctly. Not that <laughs> I, I, I see that. <laughs> um, yeah, so like when we when we we have a terrible history of being able to actually get together and play games, but when we were, um, man, we just had. We've had a heck of a time with that one, but we've talked about it um, at at some length with yeah. when, in what you play in section. But yeah, it, it sure does. The, the despair is definitely real. Uh, when I mean, that, you, that sense of despair and hopelessness was really, you know, that that feeling. Where, you know, we wanted to kind of give give the players little nuggets of hope, and then slap them out of their hand. Yeah, <laughs> because, and I like that's that's what the best zombie movies and zombie media always feels like the walking dead comic book is that way and mm-hmm. you know the romero uh, all the old uh, classic romero zombie films and uh even some of the fulci uh italian grindhouse zombie movies you know have that little uh you know rises of tension and then a glimmer of hope and then smash it <laughs> i think that's huge too because there are games where <laughs> it just feels overwhelming and you're like, well, I don't really feel like playing through this losing scenario because I don't feel like anything's going to change and we might as well just quit. Whereas with dead of winter, we, I don't think we've ever stopped early. No, um, we've always played it through just in case. Yeah. You know, I, I think our favorite I mean, moment. One of, the, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So say, I think our, our favorite moment, we're playing with our, our, our friend, Michael, and we're like, he's like, Oh, I'm just going to keep, uh, I got I really want to find a weapon. So he keeps, he keeps scavenging and he would keep making noise over and over. Kept, kept, uh, you know, scavenging the extra time, kept drawing all these zombies out. We're finally like, what are you doing? And then finally, cause we, I think we had played probably four, maybe four or five sessions and we never had a trader. And then, so finally that we finally had an experience where you had a trader oh, right. yeah. the, <laughs> in the game. And, uh, I think, didn't we, didn't we successfully exile him? And or I can't remember. I think you and him got into a we fight. We exiled that you, him, but he, he ended up winning because yeah. we didn't, we were in a losing scenario at that point. Yeah. As soon as you started describing, as soon as I would have exiled. <laughs> yeah, but that's even that's even tough too because when sometimes when you exile people, especially because we usually play uh, three player games, it's like you got to know that the other person has your back, and there's so much because there's so few people. It's like you, it's really tough to get people to. We always joke like, "Oh, you must be the traitor!" Like anytime anybody does anything, <laughs> yeah. it's like, "Oh, traitor!" Oh, you're taking the extra can of food, traitor. Yeah, traitor. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta start putting the pressure on people as soon as possible. It, you know when uh, when we were in playtest, and we did a very very large playtest uh, with the group before it went to the publisher or before it went to printing. Um, we had we had over a hundred groups playing it, and all of those groups had to play it at least I think ten or twelve times. Oh wow! Yeah. So we we collected a lot of data, and our aim was for about a thirty percent win rate. Oh wow! It all, it all makes sense then. <laughs> because yeah. we wanted it to be really tough. Now, uh, with more experience, you know, there's certainly some things, um, you know, a few, a few pro tips uh, to help you out. Uh, one that I, you know, always tell new people, especially when I'm teaching the game, I usually play the uh, too many mouths scenario. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think it's really important to teach new players that you don't necessarily want to play the outsider cards every time you draw them. Those are the ones that add um, the the outsiders the, to the, your that, but they don't do anything. Basically, they're just extra mouths. Well, they, they, give you, they give you a new survivor, and then usually they'll bring along somebody with them that's helpless. Okay, because you don't have to play those right away, and that's kind of one of the more miss commonly missed rules. Like people think mm. as soon as they draw them, they have to play them instantly. Mm. I think we had that come up. I think that was in question when we were playing too, actually. I don't yeah, remember you, for sure. You hold them in your hand, and a lot of times it's not better to play them. You know, like, <laughs> you know, say say that you have lost one of your survivors, you know, to a bite. Mm-hmm. You may want to, you can request it just like any other card, and then I could just give you an outsider card, and you can play it to you know, buff yourself up rather than me having like six guys and right. you having one. Yeah. That's true. Dang, we've been doing it all wrong, Jason. Well, I mean, you've been doing it. You're usually the king of those. Uh, I was going to say, I'm the one that everyone guys. complains about that I, I play them immediately, usually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people think like, oh, well, it's it's more dice, so it's better. Yeah. So even if they know they don't have to play it, they still will just because it made sense that, Oh, I get to do more stuff on my turn. Yeah. If you're not getting, you know, if that one survivor is sitting in the colony and you need a food, a turn, if you can't generate a food, a turn and kill a zombie, you know, that half a zombie, a turn that it's going to add, mm-hmm. then it's not really worth it. 
So you always have to make that decision. And, and I think that'll help up your win rate a little bit. Pro tips, pro tips. I love it. <laughs> Can you help us with Imperial Assault? We've been having troubles with that one too. <laughs> Well, I haven't been having trouble. So to well, start, but. Jason plays the Empire, and yeah, yeah. My pro tip for Imperial Assault is just play the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's probably yeah. the best advice yeah. I've ever heard. That was, that was also I, a I birthday gift, so that you can just play Empire against Empire. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, well, we've been playing that campaign for what the better part of a, almost a year now. If we if we last till August, we've been playing one campaign, just the one overall campaign for a yeah. year still haven't finished oh, it geez. that tells we, you how little we get together we got into it right when it came out and we played almost every week just to play through the campaign with the same mm-hmm. group and it, it was a fun experience but i i think there's some definite balance issues with the game mm-hmm. yeah it, it definitely kind of seems that way it's like guys and wikis and all the fun stuff so well and it it kind of snowballs too like once you're in a losing streak, especially as the rebels, it, it feels like you're starting to dig a hole that you can't get out of without, because you're not, you're never generating money and you're not getting as, uh, as much uh, gear as you feel like you need. And ugh, ah, bad experiences. <laughs> Plus like, Oh, you open this door. Okay. You've got two elite Royal guards. Yeah. And ATST. And Speaking of a game that you feel like quitting in the middle of <laughs> when, it, when everything goes wrong, but um, you you spend the first three turns opening this door, and then they're like, "Oh, there's a giant ATSD on the other side." Sorry. <laughs> uh, terrible. That happened in the movies. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know what trilogies you watch, but all the um, time. Well, let's talk about. I don't know if you can remember, but do you remember your first? designer board game that you played like uh the one that kind of made you go oh games can be more than monopoly or scrabble there's there's other types of games like worker placement and stuff like that out there and it kind of broadened your horizon do you remember what game that was well uh, in high school i was big into magic the gathering and dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. so i mean i knew that you know there were those types of games out there and Magic is really one of the, you know, first U.S. modern board games because um, it did a lot of the stuff that other games weren't doing. Um, and because of Magic, I'd become aware of uh, Settlers of Catan, but I, I never bought into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how my wife and I were trying to, we wanted to, get, uh, you know, get back into board games. Because her parents like to play all the traditional stuff like Scrabble and you know Uno and those types of things. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I know, I know from my background that there's other good games, so let's try to find some that you know we can play with her family. Um, so the first kind of modern European board game that we got into was Bonanza, uh, which if you're not familiar with, it's B O H N. Uh, which is the German word for bean. And it's a game about bean farming. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Mike and I have played that. Jason, I don't think you've ever I don't, played it with us. I don't but think so. Mike, Mike owns, our buddy Mike owns the game. He actually should probably be in this conversation right now because he's probably the biggest board gamer of us all, but he couldn't be here. Um, but he has shared the, the love of uh, Bonanza with me. 
Yeah, it's a great. It's negotiation, so it's trading, it's screwing each other over. <laughs> yep. Uh, and you know, so I used that and uh, own to get you know her family used to playing the non the non standard games. Then it just it really went from there. Okay. I feel like um, for me right now, um, Ticket to Ride is kind of that game that I go to when. I don't want to play just the usual, you know, board game fair, but it's simple enough for people to, who aren't like into designer board games that they'll, they won't even realize they're playing one really. And um, we actually had a conversation. Uh, what was it last? It was last episode. Wasn't uh, it, that we had our top three. Yeah. The last episode we did. Yep. Yep. Every once in a while we do a top three segment where we talk about like, top three movies we've ever watched. And one of them, uh, the last one was top three go-to board games um, okay. that, that we, for whatever reason, like you would, you would list off one of the board games and then you would say why that board game is a go-to for you. Um, so you would say that um, those were some of your, some, some of your go-tos then like, what would your top three be? No, my top three. I mean, I would, I would definitely say, Ticket to Ride is way up there. Um, if it's, you know, somebody that I know used to play, like, Match the Gathering, I would probably throw Dominion on that list. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a great, you know, a, you know, deck builders are really good for people who used to play competitive card games because, you know, it's a quick, you know, you're trying to build a deck with different strategies in it, and, um, you know, it's really engaging, and mm-hmm. interesting. So I think Dominion works really well. Um, and I would probably throw and it it's outdated and there's better things now, but I would probably throw Werewolf on there. Oh yeah. Or Mafia. Uh, that was another huge one that you know we would I, I probably played two or three hundred games of Werewolf in the first like three years of getting back into gaming. Dang. That's a that's a tough one. You need quite a few people to play werewolf. And yeah, we, I mean, we would we would do. I mean, I had I learned early on a really good setup for five players exactly. Okay. Um, it's 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 uh, one of my friends. It's five uh, five person werewolf, and it's it takes about ten minutes to play, and it's really good. Oh wow! Um, and it's it's difficult, uh, but I think one night or not, yeah, one night uh, ultimate werewolf is a better implementation uh, because it's it's timed. So the entire game is like five to ten minutes long with a timer. Okay. And everybody's yelling and screaming. Um, and it's only one night long. So like you start off with, and it has an app that does all the moderator stuff. Oh, nice. Oh. Everybody can play it. And it plays really well from like, I think with the expansion, it does three to like 15 players. Dang, that's a pretty... That's a wide range of players. Yeah. Now, I, I argue with some people that the lower end, I've, I've played some good three-player games in the expansion, but it's not as mm-hmm. good as, like, five-player and up. Okay. Um, but it really shines with, like, five people. But it's nice because it's one night, so everybody closes their eyes, and it walks you through the roles. And then uh, the app does all the moderation stuff, and then you just launch right into the accusing and then at the end of the timer, everybody just points at one person to kill. And then whoever has the majority is the one that's killed. And if you kill a werewolf, then 
the townspeople win, and if you don't kill a werewolf, then the werewolves win. Uh, mm. So it, it boils that whole experience down, and it's really tight. And you can just you can play it over and over again. It's super repeatable, and every game feels different. So if you, if you guys helps. like that style of game and don't have One Night Werewolf, go pick up the base game in the expansion for like 30 bucks, and it's worth it. I might have to do that. I have the original, um, like a really light copy of Werewolf, but I don't think we've ever ended up playing it just because we never, no. we rarely have enough people. So that I might have to look into that because I do like that game. I like any of those social aspect games where there's a, a certain aspect of, of um, bluffing or, you know, that type of skill yeah. that is involved in the game as well. Probably why yeah. you like uh, Sherry of Nottingham so much, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sheriff of Nottingham. I love that just because it's so much fun to to lie to your friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sheriff of Nottingham is really good. Um, I'm really bad at it. It is I just I lie all the time in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> person. Uh-huh. Like I can never just put an all good thing together. I'm like, nope, I gotta <laughs> put one bad thing in there. It's but my a- my favorite my favorite move in it is just do a bag that is all bad and just tell them. But no, no, this one is completely contraband. And I will give you 50 bucks not to look at it. It's like a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. And they're like, it could be real. So if I look at it, I'm just going to have to <laughs> Or I could just take his 50 bucks and move on. Nice. More uh, pro tips. I'm loving it. <laughs> You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the app like in the werewolf game um, that keeps track of of kind of does the moderating for you. Um, what what do you think the landscape looks like for board gaming kind of 20 years down the road? Because I've noticed that that has kind of become a little bit of a trend that you can use uh, devices to help you get the game going or take care of some of the stuff uh, that can kind of be a pain to have to deal with. I I think one of my favorite games is Sentinels of the Multiverse, but there is a lot of upkeep in the game for one person to do if you don't play it often enough to not have to go, okay, let's see what this villain, he's got this, uh, he has to do this thing. Oh, wait, but I forgot this comes first, like all of that. Do you see technology becoming more and more a part of board gaming, or do you think that it needs to change at all and it just kind of will always maintain sort of its ups and downs as it becomes more popular, less popular, like anything like comics, for instance, have have done as well? Do you so what what do you think the the next twenty years looks like? You know, I think I think we're gonna see more and it's it's really interesting to me. It's interesting area to explore. Uh, I mean, like, Dead of Winter has the app for the crossroad cards. So, you know, you can hand the phone around instead of doing the crossroad deck, and, you know, it'll read it to you. Everything's narrated. and Oh, that's cool. uh, You know, really well done. Um, And I think I like it. I don't like the requirement of having to have it. Mm -hmm. Like, I like like the app in Dead of Winter because you can still just use the crossroad cards. Or you can use this app. And they're they're both either one, they're interchangeable. Okay. Um yeah, you know, I really like the XCOM board game um that Eric Lane did with uh Fantasy Flight games. Uh but you can't play it without that app. 
app. So if I don't have a tablet uh, or a phone okay. that's fully charged, then I can't play that game. Which, I mean, that's that's on me. I should have a, a fully charged device. But um, but you couldn't... You also... What's really neat about that game is you can't do that game the way that it's done without an app because it randomizes things about how the game is play mm-hmm. and you know handles phases in different ways or you know tracks information but keeps it hidden from you so you don't know you know exactly what's going to happen um so i you know, it's exciting i want to see more of it but i want to either see it where it's really well integrated like edstrom or easily replaceable like in dead of winter and some mm-hmm. of the games but like the, the you can play one night werewolf without the timer, but mm-hmm. I never would just because the timer is so well done that I don't want to replace it. Right. So I, I think we're gonna see more of it, but it just needs to be done well and not like you said it. It either is the game and you have to have the app and it needs to be done well, or have it be kind of an optional thing yeah. where yeah. the content is worth checking out but it's still optional whether or not you you actually need it yeah exactly and you know i really like uh you know playing board games like with my you know my kids on the tablet too because it's nice to be able to just you know fire up a game without having to set it up you know and we can play while we're you know waiting for a few minutes rather than Mm -hmm. you know having to set it up but to me that doesn't replace the experience of sitting down at a table like I, I still want that, uh, you know, human contact with each other. And I think right, that's right. important. So I, I really hope that we won't see, you know, digital apps just replace board games. And I, I don't think we will because video games were going in that direction. And now board games are taking it back in the other direction and becoming more and more popular because people realize that they want that face-to-face contact. Yeah. That is a that is a huge trend that we've noticed in gaming is I, I think that's kind of why, at least for me, I got into board games later in life. I always I never minded playing them, but they weren't like first at top of my mind. But that was back when you would still play the Sega Genesis or the Nintendo or even the PS1. And there wasn't net over the Internet play. You know, you weren't playing Halo against 20 people you don't know or whatever mm. but now that it's it's just more convenient to not have couch co-op and just play over the internet but you lost that experience of playing co-op with somebody actually present in the room and that's really fun to do and i miss that sometimes so board games fulfill that that um that want to actually <laughs> be sitting around a table and playing a game with my friends and I can actually see them and screw them over and see their reactions <laughs> and stuff. So, Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I loved throwing land parties earlier in the, early in the day of yes. multiplaying computer games, mm-hmm. but having that replaced with like four random 12 year olds that are just going to tell me <laughs> how they fucked my mom for, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys lost swearing. I apologize if you don't. Oh no, totally. You're, you're uh, free yep, to say yep, whatever you want. Good. But like that, that doesn't have very much appeal to me. Like, 
I I rather you know smack talk with my friends and not deal with that. Yeah, it it makes me not even want. It makes me more antisocial when I play games online because I don't even want to talk. You know, yeah, like yeah. you said, you 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 really see the underbelly of the internet, and it's unfortunate. But I've I've been to. I haven't been to a lot, but I have been to a few um, just kind of go to your local board game shop and play with some strangers or like we were talking about Grand Con mm-hmm. and playing games there. And it's it's different. You just you can I don't know, you see real people and you don't just randomly start swearing at them for no good reason. Or at least most people don't. So yeah, speak it's for yourself. That's, not, that's not a thing that real people do to each other. It's a thing that you do on the Internet. Because you don't understand how actual social interaction works. Right. And then you forget about it after you log off and it doesn't affect you. Yeah. But, yeah. There's no, real, there's no real penalties. You don't ever see that, you know, person that's on the other side of your comment. They don't see that's the tears I, falling on my keyboard as I yeah. weep <laughs> at all the obscenities I've, I've never heard of, but I'm reading from said 12 year old. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, it's funny because, yeah, I'm very active on a lot of the the board game communities online, and like uh, on Reddit one time, I, I had a user uh, oh that that told me he's like, I hate that you're here. What? <laughs> Whoa! Like, uh, he just made he made some super shitty comments uh, about Dead of Winter, and you know I responded really nicely and addressed his concerns, and I was like, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy the game. Here here are some mm-hmm. thoughts and. I responded really nicely and he was upset that I was a real person. <laughs> like I was like, uh, well, maybe, maybe that's a lesson you can learn that like when you say shit online, like people may actually, the people that created that thing may read what you say. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't at, you know, as a creator, like you can't let people like that bother you. But I think that it's it's a funny case study of like you know somebody actually meeting the the content creator that they wanted to you know bad talk about, and then the response was just like, "I really wish you weren't here." Yeah, I don't want to deal with the thoughts of you seeing this. <laughs> have you have you had to deal with that um, often, or have you been lucky and that was kind of more of an outlier case? I mean, I'm it's it's important to me to engage the people that don't like the game as much as I engage the people that do like the game, because I really wanted to understand like what things don't they like about it. Um, in when I, when I play test new games, like I have a really good group of play testers and we meet every week okay. uh, mm-hmm. play test each other's games. And, you know, we, we basically have a you know, standing policy of like, we don't tell each other what we liked about the game. You know, we only discuss like the bad things about them because that's that's how you improve. Like you you know right. what's good about the stuff you create. That's why you created it. So me me just telling you, oh yeah, that game is really fun. Mm-hmm. But you should know it's fun. You should know you know. Oh, your theme's really cool, or this mechanic's really cool. So you know, it's it's really the negative feedback that helps you grow. You know, as a creator or an artist. So it's important to me to engage those people and, you know, find out why they didn't like it. A lot of times, you know, not every game's for every person. And, and, and I'm not trying to convince someone who doesn't like Dead of Winter or doesn't like 
want Wars 2 like it because at the end of the day, even if I convince them to like it, they're not going to play it. Mm-hmm. But it's important to me to find out well, what didn't you like? What was your what were your problems with it? Is that you know something I can acknowledge in my Nets game or you know in an expansion? You know how can right. I make things better? So you, it happens a lot because I look for it. I know plenty of designers that don't want to read anything bad about their games, so they'll just completely avoid it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. I just I think it's an important tool for me to grow. I think it I think it comes back to like you you had mentioned the people who create something and they don't realize that it's not perfect the first time. Like you have to go through many iterations before you find the right balance. But for those people who think that they just shit gold, basically it, it, I think it's an important lesson for them to, to have people who have genuine concerns about like, I mean, you, like you said, you can't please everybody. If it's a game that's not for them and they don't realize that, then you, at least as the creator, you might need to, but, um, you like you said, you learn a lot about the the things that people have wrong with the game, as opposed to people who are just going to pat your back and say, "Oh no, it's great," right. you know, yeah. "Good job." <laughs> so yeah, and it's it's really it's really tough to get over. I don't want to say get over yourself, but get over the fact that you know some people aren't going to like it, and it's. You know, like I could go to Board Game Geek and read all the one and two and three comments, and you know, I could feel shitty about myself for a few days if I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But like, if I can go there and read those comments, be like, oh, okay, well, there's one or two valid points in all of this, and sure, it's only like five percent of the people that feel that way. But how? How can I, you know, how can I learn from that and try to not do that thing next time? Yeah. Well, um, Jason. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to ask this man before we wrap the show? Well, not wrap the show up, but wrap the interview up. Oh, what's uh, what's what's John got in the pipeline right now? What are you working on? Oh goodness, I <laughs> can you can you even share that with us, or will we have to be murdered first? Yeah, uh, there's a few things I can talk about. I have, I have a project board right next to me in my office, and it has four, 14 games on it right now Woo-hoo. that are either at publishers or being looked at by publishers. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit early on about Wasteland Express Delivery Service. That'll be out later this year. Um, that's probably going to be the next big thing. It's going to be a nice big bots game. Have really awesome minis in it. Um, minis. Yeah, the, the minis are all like these awesome modded up trucks and stuff. Awesome. And, and all the all the resource cubes, instead of doing like wooden cubes, all the resources are like 3D modeled or 3D uh, you know, like different resources. So like the water mm-hmm. looks like barrels of water and the Nice. Ammo crates look like little tiny ammo crates, and you load them into the trucks, and it's it's awesome. Um, so that's that's one of the big ones. I've got a couple. Let me see. What else can I tell you about? It, it's tough because some publishers don't like you to talk yeah, about stuff. Yeah. Like that. Is there 
Um, like, what's the next thing that we'll see from you, do you think? Definitely Wasteland Express. That'll be out uh, fourth quarter this year, so it should be right before oh, Christmas. Noon. Nice. Good. Uh, and uh, Heroes and Trips was on Kickstarter last month, so that should be delivering either around Christmas or early, early next year. And I don't oh, know okay. for it. Uh, I'll have to check, but you can go to... Uh, if you look up Heroes and Tricks on Facebook, is a good place to keep up with news on that one. Okay. Perfect. So those are, those are probably the nets, too, that I can... I hate I hate being shadowy and mysterious about that. <laughs> well, yeah. You got to do that. It, ma- it makes you seem... Like you have a, a shroud of mystery about you, and we want to know more. But you're, you're, it's the little nuggets of hope that you were talking about. That <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this question earlier, but it just oh. popped in there now too. Is like, what's your whole take on um, Kickstarter as being a, a successful medium for smaller creators to get their games published and funded? And I I have a really strong love hate relationship with kids. <laughs> um, I I honestly think it's a very very good thing. Um, I love that you know somebody with a passion can put a a product a product up on there and raise the funds to make it. Um, I think because it's not vetted anymore. There used to be people that approved every project. Um that came out, uh, there used to be a little bit of an approval process and a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, editorial process. So they actually checked to make sure that you had some idea of what you were doing before you launched your project. So you have to kind of learn some of the warning signs for when you back a Kickstarter. Like, is their funding goal way lower than what it actually takes to make a board game? Like, if they're looking for two thousand dollars, you're mm-hmm. not going to make a board game for that price. Yeah. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of like large companies that have had many successful games using it over and over again as just pre-orders. Because to me, the spirit is to help small companies that don't have you know thirty or forty thousand dollars in assets to launch their next game. Yeah. Because, I mean, that realistically takes a large amount of money to print a board game. So, you know, if you're a small company, you don't have a lot of, you know, uh, liquid capital, then Kickstarter makes sense because you can, you know, gauge interest and get that capital, uh, you know, above and beyond uh, what you have, uh, you know, in the company already. Mm -hmm. I also think because of that lack of editorial process, um, there are some, you know, very negative games that make it onto Kickstarter. Um, and I've gotten myself in trouble a few times lately kind of talking out against some of the Kickstarters. Um, and it's, it's not just Kickstarters, but that's a really easy place to put a game that has a lot of questionable stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thing, you know, Games that promote racism or sexism or sexual violence. Like, I I have a huge problem with those things in our industry um, because we we have a very inclusive hobby. And and this is kind of a, you know, rough place to go to. But because 
uh, you know, I, I want everybody to enjoy board gaming. And when a game comes out that has those types of things in it, you know, whether it's, whether it's subtle racism disguised as political humor or, you know, more overtly like, uh, you know, anti, uh, you know, anti-trans jokes or, you know, uh, really not even blatant, you know, just blatant like sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Things. Like those aren't things that if people walked into a game store or a convention where those games are being played, they're not going to feel welcome in the industry and welcome in the hobby. And that, that bothers me that, you know, those, I don't, I don't want to say that those things shouldn't exist, but we shouldn't support those things because of, you know, what, what they can do. We should, we should try to create, you know, I'm not saying that we should try to create things that always make people happy. Like dead of winter isn't a game that makes you happy (laughs) when you play it. Like it's designed to be, you know, a little bit depressing and a little bit dystopic and, you know, a little bit, you know, pushed down on you, but it teaches you a lot about morality and you makes you, makes you ask a lot of interesting questions. And I don't think every game needs to be that and every game needs to be happy. And you certainly can address social issues within a board game. Um, Matt Fantastic, who, uh, is a guy in the, in the, in the board game industry. Uh, he, it, he has a video on YouTube where he was talking with um, the dice tower about a game that he uh, designed called level Terrace apart. And it's printed out on a single sheet of paper. And on both sides of the paper, it has like a bunch of objects that a married or a, a couple would have, you know, like a, a sofa and a dog, and a car, and a house, and all these other things. And what mm-hmm. you do is you both look at one side of the paper, and then you flip it around so you can't see the other person's side. And then you take turns tearing out chunks of the paper to take off. But the things that you want are on the other side, so you're destroying the things that the other person in the relationship wants. Oh, God. And, and wow. it's like, it's a game that really addresses, you know, an experience and it does it in a way that creates good discussion. Mm-hmm. But Kickstarter makes it very easy for people to put out, you know, what are essentially clones of other games where they just want to make them more offensive than the original game. Um, and that, that to me, is an issue with Kickstarter. I had seen um, one one of the examples that you talked about was I think it was called Opie Go or something like that. Yep. And there, I had to laugh because it's reminded me. Um, I'm not. I don't know if you're familiar with Steam, the platform on mm-hmm. to release video games. <laughs> there have been a slew of uh, basically Japanese anime big boob girl dating sims and i mean just barely on the other you know one foot over the line of is it pornography or whatever (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um i just find it it's so interesting to me just to look at from the broad uh perspective that like you said it's almost a a means to slip these 
types of games into the into distribution without having to go through the normal checks and balances of distribution that would keep thing keep the things that are just kind of trying to trying to just play off from the other stuff like that that was successful but did it in a tasteful way or like you said in a way that provokes discussion or thought and just kind of i don't know bank cash off from horny people or something i don't i don't know but and it's not it's not even that like i don't have an issue with a game having like even sexual content in it Mm -hmm. i think you know there's a place for it and there's a there's definitely a place for games that are mature in our industry you know as long as they're you know handled properly like you you there's some games that you just wouldn't play at a convention where there could be kids around. And that's, you know, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, just like you wouldn't watch a mature movie, uh, you know, and right. you know, every, every parent should be in charge of policing that that's, that's a different issue. But like with, with Opie go, like uh, one of the things is the, the rule book, uh, you know, states very upfront in the introduction that the women are being forced to rip off each other's clothes oh, and their freedom from this island that they've been trapped on. Oh, I feel dirty now. <laughs> right? Now, in the Kickstarter, they make it look like it's very friendly um, mm-hmm. and, and not quite... It's still... It's still not appropriate the way that it's done in the Kickstarter, but it's not quite as obvious that it's non-consensual and they're being forced to do this thing. Right. It's it's really a lot of times a question of consent versus, you know, non-consent. If it, if it was, you know, a bunch of, you know, sexy, uh, you know, attractive, a bunch of 18 year olds that were having a pillow fight and ripping each other's clothes off. That's not a game I would play, but I don't feel like, like that game is okay because it's, the women have the consent in that situation. Right. It's mm-hmm. pillow fight go instead of. Right. But it, um, yeah, it's not <laughs> them to do this so they don't die on the island. Ugh. Like that's, you know, that's not okay. And the fact that, you know, nobody associated with the campaign, like when I confronted them, got that, you know, I, I talked with the, the designer, I talked with the publisher and, you know, I told the designer, I was like, this, is this a game in 10 years when our social climate is completely different than it is right now? A game that you still want associated with you? Right. All right. I'm looking at the Kickstarter and there's a picture of a guy with Opi Go panties on his head. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That, those are Kickstarter exclusive first player panties that you wear on your head to let that's, everybody that, That's what? just the... That's the kind of community that I'm guessing that you probably don't want to be associated with when it comes to board game. Like you said, there's a time and place, but for the most part, it's a a community that I would think would try to get away from something like that. There's plenty of other things that accomplish um, sex and violence. Well, not even just like sex, violence, and those other things that kind of go along with that when it's done in this sort of fashion. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's ways to do it in a way 
that is appropriate. I mean, and it's just like movies. Yeah. Um, in, in video games, it's taken video games a while, and they're, and they're still not completely there. But it's taken them a while to find, okay, well, here's how we can use a voice and get people to think about an experience. And then there's these games that feel exploitive. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's a, it's a shame that those games make as much money as they do. And it's a shame, like, when I see, you know, every week, like, three or four Cards Against Humanity clones on Kickstarter that are all making way more money than they should. And a lot of those, you know, are those types of games I'm talking about that have, like, the overtly, you know, racist or sexist cards Mm -hmm. because they're trying to one-up a game that's already, you know, can be very offensive. And... Cards Against Humanity, you know, has made steps to remove, you know, uh, they had, you know, passable transvestite as a card in the first series that, you know, people <laughs> thought was an anti-trans card. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had some cards that were, you know, questionable. And they've, they've removed all those from the game as it goes. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, whether or not that makes up for it, that's not for me to decide. But, Allowing all these other games to, you know, basically sell themselves as Cards Against Vanity expansions, they lose any of that editorial control. Right. Um, there's one that came out, it, it started last week, I think it was called Politics Against People or something like that. And, you know, it was trying to play itself as like, you know, it's, it's obviously exploiting the, the current uh, election atmosphere. Um, but it had cards like uh, letting the illegals stay if they promise to cut our lawns. Oh, gosh. Um, and, and anchor babies as a card, which is a racist term. And and they tried to play it off as like, oh, well, we're, we're trying to get people to discuss it. And because so many people are against this game, uh, it, it's clear we're doing the right thing. <laughs> it's satire. I'm like, that, that's, that's the most bizarre logic I've ever heard. Right. Well, like you said, it, it it seems very exploitative and that's that's an issue. And it's it's kind of insulting to even cards against humanity. Sure, you know, like you said they may not have done right the first time around, but then they took steps to try to to make it a little bit more politically correct or whatever you want to say. Uh, but and they've also, you know, donated tons and tons of money to charities over the years. And these other companies that are making $100,000 here and $200,000 there aren't doing any of that. Right. And they're not being held to actually um, edit themselves. They don't have to. No. And if people, you know, just mix those cards in against, you know, with their set or, you know, whatever, it's it's that same situation where if you go to a party and people are playing these games and, you know, you're you're not a white male laughing at these jokes could be completely turned off. And, you know, you could want to leave, leave this hobby forever. And to me, that's, that's awful to create something like that as a quick cash. I agree. And that, that that's dangerous for cards against humanity, the makers of that game too, because you wouldn't, that person probably doesn't know that those that isn't a legit expansion for that game or whatever. Yeah, so right. it, I would think it'd be scary for that brand as well. 
And so. there's, you know, there's plenty of stuff like uh, the guy, you know, the guy that uh, did the politics versus people. When I was talking to him, he was like, you know, well, I'm a college student and I really want to get into game design. And I was like, then, you know, make, make your game different. Like you're, you're not designing a game right now. Right. Like if you just release a game, that's a ripoff of another game. You, you haven't done game design. Yeah. You and, press copy paste and then change some words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and made it, made it more offensive. Politic buzzwords and you put those into an Excel spreadsheet and then shoot a game out. And that's, that's not game design. Like, not that everything we do, like, you know, there in, in Dead of Winter, the, the dice mechanic is very uh, Stefan Feld-esque. Like, it's, it's similar to a dice mechanic that he's used before. And, you know, we, we're constantly, you know, reusing bits of other games because innovations are so far apart. Like, it, the last new board game mechanic really was deck building. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was, like, seven years ago. Yeah. So, you know, to say, like, I'm not saying that everything has to be original, but just saying, oh, I made this thing, but it's exactly like another thing that I know exists isn't creative. Yeah. You can be derivative, but not just yes. outright copy. <laughs> yeah, like there, there are plenty of party games that do, um, in, in one of the, uh, I, I was discussing this at length with, uh, the creator of the card game Super Fight, which is like where uh, you have two players that each make these superheroes with these cards, you know, that are just text on cards, and mm-hmm. then you like argue like why your superhero would win a fight between the other superhero, and like that's that's a card that uses this, you know, it's a game that uses the same comment of text on card or the same uh, format of text on cards, but it's a completely different game. It's not just cards against humanity. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now, and it looks very similar. Like, they even have the black on white text on some of it, but then they've kind of branched out for their different types or whatever. Yeah, like, the mechanics are completely different. It's not read off this thing and everybody hands in their best punchline. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's a debate game, and it's it's completely different. And, you know, he, he was upset because... Um, my my friend Curtis Clark, um, he created a Kickstarter called White Text on Black or yeah White Text on Black Cards, mm-hmm. um, which is <laughs> if you look it up on Kickstarter, it's active right now, um, and it's basically it's eighteen cards. Uh, here, let me let me bring it up real quick. If you just Google White Text on Black Cards, it's the first Google hit. Um, so it's. <laughs> The one black card in the game is the reason I do not want to play any version, variant, expansion, official or otherwise of any white text on black card game. <laughs> and then then there's 17 cards that people can hand in for their answers. Like, racial stereotypes shouldn't be celebrated. Uh, it isn't fun playing a spreadsheet of someone else's jokes. Exclusionary <laughs> uh, oh, wow. games and a hobby that's all about inclusion. So, like, the, the entire game is just that one card and then reasons you don't want to play those games anymore. Um, so, you know, I was discussing with Darren and he was like, well, you know, I'm really hurt by this game because Superfight um, and the game that he had uh, 
on Kickstarter at the time, you know, he had a game called Blank Mary Kill that was also on Kickstarter. And he's like, well, my games get lumped in with these games. And I was like, well, then make them, make them different. Make them look different. Mm-hmm. Like, if your games look like these games, then they're going to get lumped in together. And, you know, we had a, we had a very long discussion about it, and, you know, we, we talked back and forth. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, he and I both learned some things in the conversation, but, you know, I think it's a conversation that's good to have. Like, why, why make your game look like somebody else's game or play like somebody else's game? Like, there's, there's way more value in making your game stand out on its own. But that's if, hard. It's hard. <laughs> but if, if Opai Go is a legitimately good game, then he would be better served by making it have a different theme and a different, you know, different everything. I mean, you know, keep the mechanics, but put a different theme on it. Right. You make it about robots ripping each part of the other one off. I would buy that game in a minute. Yeah, I'd pay. I'd pay forty games for a, uh, forty bucks for a game about ripping a robot apart. That'd be great. There's there's no benefit for it having the theme except to try to cash in. But as long as it's consensual though between the robots, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean well, I'm yeah. a robot hate. I think that was the worst about laws of robotics actually. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Um, well, you know, I hate to I hate to cut this interesting conversation no, no, short. I ran uh, away. Over. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's okay. I mean, we we play fast and loose with the rules. It's kind of what we're known for. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we do. Uh, unfortunately, we still have the rest of the show to do. Jason, can you believe uh, it? Do we have to? No, we don't have to. We could just release this and call it good. Uh, this uh, is what everyone's coming for anyway. You know it. I know it. True. We may as well attach a bunch of other stuff on then. Yeah, that's true. We we throw in we we'll put this at the very end so they have to hear the other stuff they don't want to hear first and then they'll and then they finally get to to the interview that they want to hear. Yeah. Just cut that's, it up into like minute and a half segments and put it in between. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's devious. I love it. Um is there anything else you want to share with us uh Mr. Gilmore before we before we uh disconnect from this hangout? No, I, probably, I mean, no, I think I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for taking time out to to meet with us and talk a little bit about board games and what you do and where you came from. My pleasure. Thank you guys very much for having me. We always appreciate, uh, you know, when people look at us fun- funny when we sit down in the studio together, we say, you know, but we're going to talk on our cell phones, though, because we need to we need to keep up the allure that we're doing this online so we, we appreciate you going on with the trade and maintaining that you know we recorded this separately but we really did record it in the same i mean we're each in separate parts of the room and we're talking over a computer within that same room exactly yes, yes. exactly to give it that internet feel. see he gets it it's all about the internet feel well thank you again for joining us and uh hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview and uh enjoy the rest of the show and that was our interview with john gilmore Thanks again for John for coming on the show. Appreciate putting the time out of his schedule and uh, appeasing simpletons like us. Especially considering how much stuff he's got going on. Good Lord. That's right. I'm jealous. Even even the stuff he couldn't talk about. That's right. Well, he didn't know this, but I was secretly taking pictures through the window at his board of secrets. <laughs> so 
I'll upload that soon. Excellent. Well, we should probably, you know, we still got to do the Netflixation, so why don't we take a little uh, musical break? Sure. Recharge the batteries a little bit, and then we can finish this show off proper. I got that wheel of spinning. Bye-bye. OC Remix time. We feature a remix from Overclocked Remix. Uh, OCRemix.org for those unfamiliar. Lucas is dialing up the randomness right now. Ooh, man, there's a lot of... Have, did they have a uh, Sonic... Uh, release lately. There's a lot of Sonic, a lot of Zelda. Yeah, we got uh, we got for you today, Sonic the Hedgehog, number three. Song's called "Burning Ice" and it's by Shinrei, not Shinra, not the evil corporation that you know basically made the world explode in Final Fantasy VII. You know the one. Uh, Jesus, look at all the composers that did the music for this song. Uh, the song yeah. is the original song is Ice Cap Zone Act One, so I'm guessing like kind song, of a wintry actually. theme. Ice Cap Zone. Um, yeah. yeah, there's Bobby Brooks, Brad Book. You know what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten composers. I don't know if that's just for Sonic Three in general, but Michael Jackson is listed on there. Yep. So it's true. He did. Uh, there was always a long rumor that Michael Jackson was going to do the music for Sonic 3, and he was uncredited for it, but he did do... I always thought it was 2. Some of the, did nah, he do some you of can definitely, 2, You can definitely hear it, too. If you go back and listen to some of the stuff now, it definitely makes sense. Ah, uh, okay. This is a good song, though. I'm glad that this one came up. So, um, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, 1994, Sega Genesis. Some people will be like, oh, the game that they couldn't fit on one cart had to make it into two games. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. This is Burning Nice. It's by Shinrei, and it is good for your ears. So listen, and we'll be back with Netflix A.
All right, that was uh, Overclocked Remix. And, uh, yeah, it's Netflix Asian time where we, we picked a movie, gosh, it feels like forever ago, to watch, discuss, hopefully make you watch too. And uh, we talk about it here in this little old segment. You know, it uh, it lived, it died, it was reborn. It's like the phoenix. Ooh. Except without the murdering everyone stuff. So, Lucas, what uh, what, did, what were we watching Well, you know, we watched the, the um, movie Hush, which was a thriller slasher serial killer it rhymes and netflix described it as this a deaf writer who retreated into the woods to live a life a solitary life sorry my mouse went off the thingy uh actually i'm gonna start that over and cut it a deaf writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life must fight for her life in silence when a masked killer appears in her window uh yeah, that's a, I would say that's a decent, you know, we try to we try to look at and see what Netflix, whoever, whatever weird algorithm decides to put these these. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's just a bunch of monkeys, like a hundred monkeys with a hundred typewriters like the episode. Yeah, of and they just <laughs> spit out what the, the movie was about. Um, I mean, this one and the plot is fairly straightforward. So how do, how, how can you get it wrong? Right, Jason? You can't get you it can't. wrong. Well, not in this one, anyway. Not in this one. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, like, get the character's name wrong or something. I don't know. But I think they did a yeah. decent job, Jason. We'll mm-hmm. give those mm-hmm. we'll give those monkeys some credit, I guess. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what this movie was about. I mean, like I said, it is pretty straightforward, so this won't take very long. But if you aren't going to no. watch it... Uh, it is about a uh, writer. Uh, she's working. I don't even think she's working on a novel. Or yeah, yeah, she was because she was trying to figure out. Yeah, she is because she can't. She can't. Yeah, figure that's out right. So, um, yep, she's a writer. She's working on one of her novels. It's established that she has uh, at least one out in the world, um, and so she's kind of out in the woods in this cap, this really nice cabin or whatever. And uh, she has a friend. She has uh, neighbors, but they probably live. A good distance away, I'd say, since they're all out in the woods. Um, and so, the setup of the movie kind of starts with showing you off, or showing off to you, the viewer, that she's deaf, obviously, and um, kind of how her world works, I guess. And uh, her friend comes over, they talk a little bit, and before you know it, not very long into the movie, uh, shit hits the fan, Jason, doesn't it? It does. Um, and then from that point on, really, it's up to her to not only survive, but overcome this stranger who has decided to torment the, well, her her neighbor, at least, and her as well. So uh, that's pretty much what the movie is about, really. I mean, that from that point on, that's, that's the main thing. So yeah. <laughs> um, I guess let's just get right into it. Uh, Jason... How did you feel about this movie? What 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 did you let's talk about what you liked about this movie? Well, you're immediately it, it's going to draw a parallel with like the strangers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you immediately kind of get that vibe with uh the the mask that the the antagonist is, you know, is wearing, which um I mean, I'm sure that's going to come up come up later, but I mean, it's a creepy um, blank mask, you know. It, yeah, it's a creepy. It's an all white. It's creepy. I mean, in this this what movie this movie has going for it that it, another one's 
do not have is like your 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 main character is is mute. She can't she can't communicate. She can't hear anything. So immediately her you know the the bad guy so to speak has the upper hand. Oh, for sure. Know? So, um, that a very interesting. It draws you in. Twist. Yeah, and I think like I uh, I watched like the trailer because I I. You know, like I always do uh, with Netflixation, I always say, well, I've got a Netflixation movie I think you might like, so I, you know, I'll show her the trailer yeah. first, and she'll be the judge, but she was, like, immediately like, yes, I want to watch it. But that part where he, like, he grabs um, her phone. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden she gets a message, and it's pictures of her sitting in that her that chair being texted to her own phone. I mean, wow. If that doesn't, if that's not going to freak you out, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I liked... I really liked the the main character. I liked, um, I just liked, you know, it didn't uh, it didn't really waste a whole lot of time like setting things up. You know, like you said, it did kind of just it it jumped right into it, and then um, you know, it kind of, I don't know. I liked I liked the way it played out. It didn't have like typically when you get in movies like this, you get all this oh like that's gonna happen moments or like oh he's gonna live through yeah. that. You know the the, the type of if, of hyper reality that's just not you know it's just yeah movie it's convenient stuff. for the story I mean, or whatever yeah there's not too much of that here um it's uh, I I don't know I I liked I liked the ride that this movie put you on I think the pacing was pretty was pretty well done um I do have to say though at the ending I totally expected you know a, a Friday the Thirteenth moment where you know the monster's not yeah, dead yeah type type thing but um. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I liked I I liked the movie overall from uh the start to finish. Um I think you probably have a few more like specifics yep. to get into and I I'll just build on to those. Okay. So. Uh yeah, I have quite a few specifics, uh a few generalized things too. You talked about the like the main character. I like both character, well both the main character Maddie and the killer because they're both smart and they, I felt like neither of them were making really stupid. Like she never runs upstairs and traps herself. Uh, she never does anything without thinking about it first. And he is a very, uh, almost like feral killer. I want to say like he, he likes to play with his, his dinner, so to speak. Um, so, and Mm -hmm. to the point where you believe it though, like I get that he wants to – he clearly gets enjoyment out of it, and they show you that in a very brutal scene uh, when he's stabbing the neighbor. It actually made me a little bit ill because I think the sound effects were – Oh, yeah. That one was Yeah, the bad. sound effect was way too spot on. <laughs> um, but I think they just play off their instincts of the characters, like – the things that you would actually do in those scenarios or the things that the killer as a, a guy who – is going to mess gets enjoyment out of her misery is going to do. And they do a lot of that, that stuff with him, especially it, mm-hmm. when he's toying around with her and there are times when he probably shouldn't be and it gives him away, but only in a way that makes sense. And like one of the big things, uh, spoiler, if you haven't, uh, we, we should always say that, um, we always are going to spoil the movie in Netflixation. So spoiler if you haven't watched it yet. But one of the big things was when she goes up into the bathroom and she is prepared to fight basically up there. And she's 
sitting in front of the toilet or in front of the bathtub and he pops out. We don't know he's there, but he pops out and he, because she's deaf, he's talking to her because that's whole all part of his game and he's been doing it the whole time. But he happens to exhale in a natural way though, like a, in a way that doesn't seem forced and she feels it and immediately knows what's what to do. And I thought those like things like that are just so smart in the screenplay that it just plays off things that they've built up in these characters and it, it pays off mm-hmm. as a viewer. And I, I really appreciate that when they give you character tidbits and then they actually come into play in the story. So I really like that. Um, that, that leads of course to the fact that I actually cared if she died, you know, most of the time you watch a scary movie and you're, everyone's so dumb or you just don't care about them that you're just like, whatever. I don't, I don't really care what happens. I like, I I talked about unfriended. I wanted them all to die because I hated them all. I thought they were all annoying. So it's kind of refreshing to see a movie where you actually care if the character dies. Um, how did you, because she's not just screen fodder. Yes. She's actually, she's actually a person. Yeah. How did you feel about Mm -hmm. the, the way that they handled them? The, like how they told you, what happened to her and why she was deaf and everything. Um, well, I, I, I'm glad that we got that, you know, that we, we got the, the, like what actually happened onto that because yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, it's just like, Oh, it's just a convenient plot mm-hmm. device, you know, but I think that's cool how that was included in there by her little, you know, it's on her, her author bio on, on her, one of her novels there. Um, horrible card to be dealt that's <laughs> yeah. for sure what but, was it meningitis some sort of meningitis uh, yeah she had a cognical uh meningitis infection or whatever and then yeah lost her um slowly lost i think lost her her ability to speak through mm-hmm. that i i can't remember and then yeah i just oh. think it's it's like the it's a great example of show don't tell because you they could have very yeah. very easily had her like on the phone with her mom or something stupid where, you know, she's just, or I guess on a Skype conversation where somebody says all that crap and then you're just like, ugh, they're just bringing that up because they have to, to inform the viewer and it's all exposition. Mm. But instead it, it feels more a part of the story. Like it's delivered to you in a way that feels natural. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I think, um, what's cool too is like, it was kind of refreshing to see, you know, uh, to see, uh, sign language being used yeah you know, and, uh, with a, a main character because i can't say I've, I've seen that in a movie before and and to see that kind of featured and it's kind of interesting um you know put that a little more in the forefront and i think this movie does a good thing too about uh pointing you know creating a, a kind of issue we have too is what happens if someone is that you know is um deaf or something like that you know or can't speak is needs to call 911 because like jess and i were talking about that and because they have to use like another service that essentially you know, translates and does the call for them. But I mean, if you're in an urgent time sensitive thing, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't help you because not, not every area supports like a 911 text, text feature or text, you know, that service isn't there. So. Oh, and I think you brought, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it all, this movie also shows that you can have limitations and still be still win. You know what I mean? Like you can still, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of a 
extreme case here, but you can still defend yourself. You can still um, protect yourself and be, you don't have to feel like you're useless or whatever, just because you have these limitations. I mean, she's clearly like, she was out there by herself and she's a writer. She's made a life for herself. So, you know, being, not being able to talk or hear, that's a pretty, that's an awful combo to have. I mean, either one's bad on their own, but to have both is pretty awful. But, you know, she is a fighter. <laughs> and despite her yeah. limitations, it, I mean, she, she is smart. As a character, she's smarter than most of the people in horror movies who have no um, disability. So... I really appreciated the fact that they were able to show a, a character with flaws, but um, ones that or not. I shouldn't say flaws, but char- a character with um, limitations, but aren't helpless. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really refreshing. And like you said, being able to see the, the sign language, I thought that was a pretty bold choice. Um, yeah. I thought the sound going off from like the whole being deaf thing. Uh, the sound design is used to really great effect very much so in the beginning, especially when like the, the sound effects are dramatized at first to like the sound of the cutting board or the sound of water and stuff like that. And then you get to hear what she hears for a little bit. And it's just like, even though those sounds are, you know, dramatized for the sake of really being able to hear them, like we don't, our brains have learned to kind of filter some of that out. Uh, it still is just crazy to think that all of this is happening to her and all she hears is kind of like that weird blood rushing through your head sound that you get sometimes when your ears are stuffed up or whatever. It's like it, yeah. it adds a layer of creepiness to the whole affair. Like, you don't know how much noise you're making when you're trying to creep around. That just sounds horrible to me. I don't know. It just I just <laughs> thought they did a really good job with the sound design there. Yeah. Um just a couple of other things really quick. Great callbacks. Uh I love like I talked about before with um some of the other stuff, but specifically the fire alarm. They they demonstrate why that's the mm. way that it is. Yep. So it makes sense when damn you Cody, you're ruining the podcast. Um when when she uses it as a weapon, we know why that works. Like, it's not just a normal fire alarm. It is horrendously loud and ear-splitting. Um, the earring that drops out of his pocket that tips off the guy, it's only there because he was messing around with it and took it as a trophy or whatever. Uh, so that makes sense. And uh, then probably the weird I, I don't want to say the weirdest part as in it's weird that it happened but as far as like what has happened up to that point and then this comes out of nowhere it kind of feels weird at first but it makes sense yeah. when you think about it is that she uses her storytelling she talks about this voice that she has in her head when she writes and it's her mom and it helps her work out what would happen in her in her stories but she uses it as if she's a character and works out the plan that she's mm, going to take. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a weird moment because it never happens, but you can see why it would happen now that she's kind of in this, she was in a flight mode and now all of a sudden she's in a fight mode and she's thinking about it because she realizes, all right, 
this is the last stand I have to take. Did you, how did you feel about that? Cause I liked it, but I don't, I mean, I could see, I it think it was weird. cool insight. Cause you get an idea of like how she's able to succeed in this situation because it's her, the way she, you know, the way she writes and thinks, you know, it shows why she's able to adapt and why she's able to outthink this mm-hmm. opponent. I think it was really cool how it, how it worked how it played out. Actually, so it worked for you too. I I could see it being yeah, weird yeah, for some did. people, but I think yeah, I I'm glad you liked it too because I thought it was it was one of the few things. Well, especially like that one scene later on because we thought that's how the movie was actually <laughs> yes. playing out, and then you know it jumps back we're like oh yeah, I know because I was like, what the hell is going <laughs> to happen from here? Because I I was not expecting it at all, and then like to see to then go into that i was like oh okay i get it now but uh, it did get me at first because i was like shit how long is this movie that <laughs> is at the end now damn the bad guy won um lastly <laughs> i liked it but it was awful the hand oh god and i know you oh it's so hard it's so cringeworthy oh god so she gets her arm stuck she reaches out to grab her phone or a knife or a weapon or something it's when he like shot the uh he shot the crossbow. Oh, I think I it think. was the last arrow she had to make the crossbow yeah. useful. Uh she reaches out to grab it, but there's this heavy, heavy wooden uh sliding glass glass and wood door. And he shuts it she goes to shut it, but then she's gotta reach out and grab this thing, and he smashes her hand in it and well, he like has her arm, her arm, her outstretched arm is yeah. caught in the door, so her hands stuck outside, and Stomps he decides to. Well, let me just stompy, stompy. It, so mangled uh. when she pulls it back in. Ugh, it was awful. But it looked, God. it looked realistic, and it was horrible, and it made me cringe. Um, yeah. Let's move on to some dislikes. Anything that you can think of that you? I, I had to pull pretty deep, but is there anything that you, um, that kind of turned you off on this movie or you were a little yeah the, the fact the fact that the entire time um you know that he's going around and she's outsmarting him or beating him to a doorway or this that like is this guy can't capable of breaking a window um well he does say that he can come in anytime he wants to so i'm guessing like i had i had thought that too it's just part of his way of toying yeah with her more. i mean it, it is giving a lot of credit to her when she's there are certain times when I feel like he probably should have just ended it and he was being a dick. Yeah. But I do think that it is kind of weird that um, it's like you said, I don't know. It just kind of felt like he would have had a little bit more experience and would have known when to end it. Yeah. Cause after a while she's like, Oh, for the love of God, just break the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole uh, damn place was made uh, out of windows, it seemed like. I mean, there was, like, a place to break in every five feet. It was it's – a, it's a nice house, but it's not a very secure house at all. Um, I thought I – w- I would agree with that. I didn't I, – I kind of – I was okay with the explanation, but at the same time, I kind of felt like it was sort of a weird dynamic there. But one thing that – I disliked, I, I guess, it, it, I'm, it's hard for me because I don't necessarily dislike it. It's almost a nitpick, but I would say that I hate this in other movies, so I'm going to say that I didn't like it here either, is the removal of the mask. Um, I really liked the way that it happened. I just think it happened too soon. Mm-hmm. I think she should have had that idea later. Yeah. 
because it was like 20 or 30 minutes in. So she she writes, hey, I didn't see your face. Uh, You know, my boyfriend's coming home soon. You don't have to kill me. You can just leave. And in a great like character revealing moment for the, the killer, he says he takes off the mask and he's like, well, you've seen my face, haven't you? And that's awesome. That tells you a lot about the character. But it's almost like, why does he even bother wearing a mask at all then? Right, right, and I, I agree with that too because it just it, it you know it's gonna ha- it always happens in a movie like this but yeah it just it just happens and then you're like oh and then once it did all I could see him was from all the other movies that <laughs> yeah. well, the other Netflixations that we've seen him in I was just like oh the guy from Short Term Twelve is going opinion. crazy yeah yeah it it's a it's a problem for me okay it's a little bit more um like this is a very minor dislike I will say. It's a bit more okay, or it's more okay in this movie because it's not trying to be supernatural at all. There, it, everything is ground grounded in realism, basically. And there's no like, like you said, there's no moment where he gets up and isn't dead, even though you thought he died. So there's no like Jason yeah. Voorhees moment or anything like that. So from that perspective, I'm a little bit more okay with it here than in another movie, but I still thought I don't have a problem with the fact that he did it. It just came too early in the movie, just to be clear. So, uh, what about nitpicks? Did you have any nitpicks or any other dislikes that had come up through the conversation? Um, not that really, you know, I guess my nitpick too, I think you, you kind of saw your notes on it too, but it, it is like on the hand again. It's like all of a sudden, like she, I guess adrenaline plays the part, but, after you know the resolution, she's just like, ah. Oh, well, fine. it was I'm it was fine. clearly busted to all hell, and then she's like able to use weapons, and like I don't know, I if it was that bad, I can't imagine you wouldn't be walking around like cradling your arm and hoping it didn't bump yeah. into anything. But she gets in a full on fight, and like you said, adrenaline. But still, I mean. This thing plays out in the course of at least two or three hours, I would say. The adrenaline right. can only get you so far. Um, yeah, I yeah it 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 was like magically fixed all of a sudden. I didn't personally care for the music. There were a few songs I were I was okay with. It actually kind of reminded me. Yeah, I don't really remember anything. The only song it. I didn't really I didn't really like was when she was decide. I think it was when she was deciding to fight back. And there was this kind of weird, like Rocky, like the music kind of picked up a little bit. No, you're a man. <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah, it was kind of, um, I don't know, less subtle than the rest of the, the music. The other, the rest of the music was like Tinkerbells and kind of reminded me of, um, Halloween or something like that. But, so at first I was just okay with it, but then there were other parts where they added a few more interest, in, blah, a few more instruments, and it just sounded, I don't know, it sounded cheesy, which is weird because they actually had a band I think do the music. So I don't know, but it was a, it's a nitpick. I it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything. I just noticed it, um, mm-hmm. in a movie that could have easily had very minimal to no music at all. So. Um, let's move on to IMDb, IMDb fun facts, shall we? Uh, Ooh. Kate Seagal, who, uh, played the main character, which, uh, I think her name was Maddie, also helped write the script. 
which I, I this isn't actually this is a I wrote this down um, and then it happened to be included in another IMDb fun fact, but I didn't care for the rest of it. But I think it's interesting because you don't often see somebody who writes or at least helps write a film also be in the film um, unless it's like the director or something which also usually leads to bad things. But um, I haven't really seen that very often personally. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Yeah, that's cool. Contains less than 15 minutes of dialogue, meaning that more than 70 minutes occur without a single word spoken. I didn't feel like that was the case at all. I mean, they must've broken up that 15 minutes pretty well because you don't, you definitely don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they show some books that she has in one of the shots. And uh, the Stephen King book glimpsed at the beginning of the movie, as Maddie plugs in her computer, is Mr. Mercedes, another story about a psychotic serial killer whose motives are never explained. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike Flanagan, who is the director, uh, I believe, is a huge Stephen King fan. And King was a vocal fan of Flanagan's Oculus. Yeah, because he also directed and wrote Oculus, which is also mm-hmm. or was on my Netflix station or Netflix list. Yep. But I think they might have taken that movie off. That. I'm not sure. Did you like I think, it? I am not positive. Yeah, Jessica. Okay. And I like I, it. I'll probably I'll, I'll watch it if it's on there. And if not, then. Maybe I'll have to find another another way to watch it. But you know what, Jason? We did get some listener feedback on this one. Um, we yeah, did. we did. And it it comes from uh, Jeremy Lyons at Ruiner 2. And uh, he agrees with me, Jason, which means uh, I'm a pretty smart guy. <laughs> good movie. He says, good movie, but the disguise, quote unquote, should have stayed on longer. Some of the suspense was lost after unmasking. Um yeah, I feel I I mean like I said I it it's still scary like the idea of being attacked but it's scarier when that that identity is kept hidden cuz it kind of feels yeah. I don't know, it just feels like your imagination is always worse than the reality. And when you have a mask on somebody, you imagine you know, the worst. So uh I agree. I agree. Jeremy, Mr. Lyons. Yeah. Uh, if you want to le- leave us some feedback about this or any other uh, Netflixation movie that we've watched, you know, you hit us up uh, at the the usual spots. We hang out on Twitter sometimes. You might spot us every once in a while on uh, Facebook. Or did we did we ever get the site figured out? Does the site work now? Can you message us there? Uh, yeah. Because remember, oh yeah, that's the, right. Uh, you had to do the Google thing. We changed the content. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there are many ways in which to tell us about how much you loved or hated the Netflixation. Uh, Netflix guess for me on Hush was a three. Jason, what was it for you? Uh, It was a four. Dang. Well, uh, you know what? I think whenever I do mine, I make you go first, I feel like. So I'm going to go first this time Mm. so that you don't feel pressured, like – you know, oh, you know what I mean? That's, like, that's oh, nice he hated it. Now I'm going to feel silly. I, I don't know if you actually feel that way. Probably not. But uh, in an unprecedented move, Jason, Ooh. I am going to give this movie a five. No joke. What? No freaking joke. I, I liked this movie for what it is. Uh-huh. And what it is is a thriller. I know. I don't think anybody did. But it's a thriller. It's a movie that has 
no extra fat on its bones. It, it it's lean. It's mean. It's a well. You said it best. It's like a roller coaster ride. Basically, it's a ride that you watch. You go through it, and it, there's just no extraneous stuff. And I really appreciated that. It was smart. It it kept going, and I can't really ask for any more in this particular genre from a movie. Well, what do you think, Jason? Man. I know, right? I didn't even uh, believe it. I I go I go with Netflix's recommendation. A four, a, a four, pretty solid still for me. As pretty well, solid, so. yeah. So there you have it. We, you know, we think this movie is worth checking out. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, well, it's kind of spoiled for you now at this point. But yeah. uh, you should have watched right. it. And uh, shame on shame yeah. shame on you for not checking it out. But. My wife Jessica says it's the best Netflix movie. Hey, that's straight. all I've ever wanted out of life. And um, yeah, she really liked it. And um, you know, she had a question too because you know she was like, "See, why don't they bring movies like this to the theater?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point." And it's because Netflix snatched up the distribution. Oh, right smart on them! It's interesting, right? Like it, like when uh, like it, whenever it premiered, it's premiering ah, screening. Okay. Netflix was the highest bidder, and so they they and that's when they released it on when they just recently brought it to the platform, that was when it's, that was its debut. Well, so. good. I, I'm guessing they probably made a good chunk of change. Cause I was going to say, um, what makes a Netflix original an original, but I guess that means that they would have had to have funded it from the beginning, but still good on them for snatching it up. They must've saw something in it. And so did I, and so did you. And so did Jessica. Mm-hmm. So I am glad that it uh, worked out for everybody. Uh, and if you hadn't watched it and you want to get in on this sweet train ride of movies, you can always do it every other week. And so two weeks from now, we will be doing a movie that Jason has picked out and Jason is going to tell us what movie that is right now. Oh man, this is kind of, this is kind of funny because I totally forgot that's how Netflix oh, no. animation works. I don't. I don't. Are have you serious? Oh no. no! Oh no! That's oh, what boy. you get. This is embarrassing. I can probably find something though here. We're gonna pull another classic from my Ooh. queue, and it's gonna be 2011's Ironclad. Hmm. I don't think I've heard of this one. Which Netflix describes as this. A moral Knight Templar and his Magnificent Seven defend Rochester Castle from ruthless King John and his armies who seek to rule England by force. Starring James Purefoy, Brian Cox, and Kate Mara. It's an action adventure. It's an adventure. It's a military action adventure. This movie is violent and exciting. I see. Now there's a ironclad colon battle for blood. I'm assuming that's a crappy directed DVD. Ah, sequel. okay, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Much like that one Punisher movie was. I uh, yeah, that looks like. Or like Jarhead Six. I'm gonna add this to my list here. Well, and you know we don't get a lot of uh, medieval type movies in Netflixation, no. so I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, Netflix is has deemed that I would think this is an average film at a three. What about you, sir? That's not bad. Um, it has me at a four. Woof. It knows that I like crap. <laughs> well, you know, to each their own, right? 
That's we we say that sometimes. Yep. Do we have a do we have a grab bag? Do we let's let's just get to the grab bag. Uh no, we don't. I you know, not a lot of time to really That's do anything true. with it. Not a lot of time to pimp nothing. and everybody's celebrating nope. uh go Well, let's face it. Our listeners all abandoned us during our week long. Like, well, this podcast <laughs> finally died. Time to get Where's the it next off my one? subscription. Where's the next one I can follow for a couple of years and then be disappointed with? Uh, well, we have a smart audience then, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's the music. You know what to do. There's the music. It's time to go. I hope you and uh, guys enjoyed uh, our interview with John Gilmore. Uh, definitely check out his uh, his games. And, um, yeah, check out Netflixation. We'll be back next week, hopefully. And that's Fluxpose. So thank you for listening. It's sleepy time. We yeah. go to bed now. Yeah, for sure.